Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to miss. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 778 for Sunday, September the 6th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean, and you can find the show at Lockdown Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Lockdown Podcast Network. If you like a sports team, there's a very good chance we have a Lockdown Podcast covering that team every single day in short form. Please make sure you're checking out, subscribing to, rating, reviewing viewing all of the shows that you want to support on the network. All right, on today's show, the Toronto Raptors have pulled even with the Boston Celtics with a 100 to 93 win in game 4 last night down in Orlando. Uh <laughs> things feel much better today than they did 4 days ago. Let's just put it that way. Joining me to talk about the Raptors evening things up, how they did it and what to expect in game 5 is our pal from Raptors Republic doing some wonderful video work over there and the Shoot Your Shot podcast. It is S. Barry Henny. What's going on, man? How you doing, man? Good, good. I'm good. Uh, a lot, Like you said, a lot better than I was four days ago. It is pretty wild how uh, highly unlikely pass and shot with 0.5 seconds left when a 3-0 deficit was sitting right there. Uh, th- like, that just doesn't matter now. <laughs> like, the, the, yeah. the, the, the hanging on the brink was just there, and then it wasn't, and now it's a tie series, and you could argue I think the Raptors are trending in a much more positive direction than the Celtics are. We'll get into that and look ahead to the rest of the series, but first we should talk about last night, a game where Pascal Siakam finally found some footing, at least inside the arc. He put up a full Tobias Harris, 2 of 13 from 3, uh, but balanced that out by going 8 of 10 from inside the arc, uh, had 11 boards as well. You had Kyle Lowry doing Kyle Lowry things, diving all over the place, uh, losing his shoe and still spotting up in the corner, just kind of doing everything. Um, where do you want to start here, S? What was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors' game for victory? Uh, I think, you know, what everybody should take away should be is that Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time. And <laughs> if he is continuing to be the greatest Raptor of all time throughout the series, they have a pretty damn good chance at winning this whole thing. Um, I just think he has been really the catalyst behind the offense throughout these past two games, Mm -hmm. Uh, just being aggressive and just making sure that he kind of initiates stuff before things get stagnant. And I know, you know, we rely on, we we rely on Lowry pretty much throughout the 48 minutes. You know, I know he he clocked 43, so he got a little bit of rest in game number four, but I, I think He's he's the only guy we can really go to consistently to kind of create something on offense when things are getting stagnant. And look, he was I, I know he missed a lot of shots. I think he was what what was he five of 16. But mm-hmm. regardless of that, I think he played a really, really good game. Yeah, I think Kyle, I mean, there's there's not enough things you can say about Kyle. He's been ridiculous. He yeah. has, like you said, if there was any question before, which there should not have been, he's been the best Raptor of all time for like three years at this point, it feels like. But um, honestly, if there, yeah. if there has been any question about Kyle Lowry that's going away. And honestly, it's, you know, it's frustrating on one level to see sort of like national media types and like people from different team internets realizing, hey, Kyle Lowry, he's pretty good, huh? But also it's kind of <laughs> nice to finally have have that and not have to constantly be kind of screaming into the void and preaching to the converted about how good he is and as sort of 
misguided as all the Kyle Lowry just got good takes are, it's nice that he's getting at least some shine, uh, even if it's like five years overdue, because he's been doing this quite literally for the last five years. And as I, I, it might have been you who mentioned this, somebody mentioned this. He was better three years ago. He was doing all of this while also hitting 41% of his threes on pull-ups and being the closest thing to Steph Curry and Damian Lillard from three. Um, so yeah, he's he's been great. He's always been great. And it's just lo- lovely to see him in a series where there is, I think, probably a lot of extra attention because Boston is involved, just kind of laying it all out there. And beyond just sort of the heart and hustle stuff, which you know comes every single game with him, I think he's just been really smart in this series about how he's attacking Boston. I feel like over the last two games in particular, they've really sort of heated the screeds of uh, Raptors fans just begging them to attack Kemba Walker. And it seems like every single time down the floor, they're hunting Kemba Walker in some way. And a lot of it is through pick and rolls with Kyle. And you know, I think the other good thing that Kyle having the ball in his hands has created is that Fred Van Vliet is not asked to create all the time. I know Fred's pull-up game has been a nice little surprise in the bubble, and it's been great, and he's been doing a good job for the most part creating for the Raptors, but against Boston, it's a different beast, and he's having a lot more difficulty with it. His finishing around the rim is not there, so you don't really want Fred Van Vliet being the guy initiating things in the pick and roll and potentially using whatever space is there to drive and attempt to finish because more often than not, he's going to miss horribly on those finishes around bigger people it's not his fault he's six feet tall and there's not much he can do about it he doesn't have Kyle's ass to move Daniel Tice out of the way and so it's just you would rather have Kyle in those point of attack situations where he is the one generating that initial penetration and by having Fred off the ball you're just kind of opening him up and giving him good looks from three it's not like he's having to work for these looks where he's sort of dodging defenders and he's looking for that little inch of space to pull up at the top of the pick and roll he just gets to stand over on the wing or up top and wait for something to swing to him because Kyle has created have you noticed that as well that do you find that Kyle creating is sort of maybe the reason why the offense has looked much more crisp in the last two games in particular in game four where they were really just kind of doing the thing they've done all season where they drive they kick they find open threes if they don't have an open three they drive and kick again and reset and it all seems to be flowing from Kyle right now yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I can't, I can't agree with you any more than that. You know, yesterday was a perfect example of that just because Van Vliet seemed to really, really work off relocating off the ball. And he does that so well in general, but mm-hmm. game four was a great example off of it because realistically, if you look at the way that the Raptors play, it's just better for Van Vliet to be off of the ball and to just be, you know, spacing the floor, being a catch and shoot guy that, that he is. And, you know, five of 11 kind of shows that I think that's probably the best way the Raptors offense is initiated, but I'll, I'll say one thing about the whole Van Vliet driving kick situation. I feel like if he were to remove that part of his game, then his game would become a little bit too predictable. Mm -hmm. So he has to drive and he has to try to get some kind of contact to go in, you know, even though he's not the greatest finisher, it's bound to get a little bit better. Like I know we, we can't expect any drastic improvement, but I could see him improving a little bit throughout the next couple of seasons. And, you know, he has to try at the end of the day, you know, driving kick is, is pretty much the name of the game when it comes to the Raptors. And if Van Vliet were to take that away from his game, it would kind of limit him to, to being a, kind of one-dimensional two-dimensional player so I, I think that's really important to his game but at the same time 
him being off ball is is crucial to the Raptors offense just because he is such a good catch and shoot shooter. Like he's he's incredible. And like I said, the relocating is such a key part of Van Vliet's game. I wish I could do a video of it. I might actually end up doing a video of it because I, I think it's it's such a cool part. He he relocates kind of like Steph Curry does when mm-hmm. he passes the ball off and then as soon as he passes it off, he's he's looking to relocate and find somewhere that he's open. Uh, pretty much behind the arc and, and get an open shot. So I think that was really good. And and Lowry initiating the offense, in my opinion, is the way it should be. But at the same time, I know there's a lot of people that say, you know, having the ball in Pascal's hands on the perimeter is another way that they could create the op- initiate the offense and have Lowry be another catch-and-shoot guy. So that's another discussion that everybody's been having as well. And I can see why people say that because Lowry is really good at, at pretty much the, the off-ball stuff as well. So... I, that makes sense, but right now Lowry's doing all the work, so let's uh, let's not. What, what's the saying? Break what isn't. I, I completely befuddled that, but it's like what broke, broke what isn't fixed. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> broke what isn't fixed. Uh, yes, there you uh, go. That's the there title of the podcast. Potentially, <laughs> um, the, I think you make a good point in that. It, you know, I think it's an important thing that Fred is at least if not full-time at least taking some possessions here there to create because like for example we're not talking about this being a tie series right now if Fred Van Vliet doesn't hit that huge uh game tying bucket late in the game in game three where he drove and finished off glass over a bigger guy and and so obviously I think any player is definitely at a benefit to have more layers to their game I just think when you're talking about the margins in a playoff series like this like I'm more than happy in a regular season game or against the Nets for example to just let Fred take a whole game and run things and have Kyle off ball and I think the fact that Fred did do that all season long you know obviously there's a four and a half month break time baked in there so any sort of reserving energy stuff doesn't really make a lot of sense but in theory Fred taking a a, a more of a lion's share of the creation during the regular season kind of frees Kyle up and allows him to rest a little bit and conserves of energy for when it really matters and boy is he expending energy right now and yeah I just it looks so much sharper when Kyle has it right now and until the Celtics can find a way around it maybe with a different defensive alignment or something like that I think you just kind of got to keep hammering it until it doesn't work anymore and you know I'm not seeing much in the way of signs of hope for the Celtics when it comes to shutting down Lowry pick and roll actions because he just seems to be carving it up doing the perfect thing every single time whether it's driving whether it's sort of slithering back to the three-point arc for a three he's just kind of doing it all right now and it is absolutely a treat to watch to just watch him put in all of this work all of these minutes that Giannis is not playing uh (laughs) it's just it's uh (laughs) it's it's fodder for both happiness and slander which you can't really ask for a better combination than that uh we're going to continue talking about game four I want to dive into Pascal Siakam and his game in just a second but first I want to tell people about a new sponsor we have for the show and that is Roman Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can just prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get free a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you for free uh with sorry with free two-day shipping 
The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there is Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare, healthcare professional and take care of it. Again, go to Roman.com slash LockedOnNBA today. If, if approved, you'll get $15 off of your first order of ED treatment as well. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA. GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, S, let's dive into Pascal Siakam here, who finally, you know, it wasn't his most efficient game. We should probably say that up front. He didn't go like 12 of 16 (laughs) in this game or anything like that. This was not game one of the NBA Finals, but it was a lot better from Pascal. And all of this is also caveated by the fact that Siakam's been ridiculous on defense in this entire series, these entire playoffs, the entire bubble. He's been outstanding on that end, and that held up in this game as well. Offensively, obviously, he's been a struggle. He's, I think, been kind of baited into too many post-ups against guys who, in theory, he's bigger and stronger than, but just can't get around, whether it's Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart. And he just has looked out of sorts. The three-point shot, still not there either. He was 2 of 13 last night, again, to full Toby Harris. But he he found something, and around the basket was pretty money in Game 4. Also played 46 minutes, uh, which, again, you love to see. Shout-out to uh, Matt Devlin and Leo Routens taking the first opportunity in, like, the second quarter of Game 4 to slander Mike Budenholzer on the broadcast, <laughs> which I'm sure Mike Budenholzer uh, must love to see and hear. Um, although, I guess he doesn't see or hear anything, because if he did, they might not be in this, this yeah, uh, the situation. Listen, yeah, Either way, S, <laughs> what was your sort of overall impression of Pascal's 23-11-2 performance in Game 4? I think any time when you have a aggressive Siakam, that's a good sign. You know, regardless of he's, if he's hitting the shots or not, I think him being aggressive is a good sign of, uh, rather than him being passive because you need him to be that guy for you. Um, he, he showed up in Game 4. Again, I know the three-point shot wasn't falling for him, but you kind of – you kind of have to appreciate that he was willing to take it that much, you know, like his confidence was at the level where he's like, I'm going to keep shooting this until it goes in. Um, he only made two, but I, I expect that to kind of turn around and potentially, you know, I, I know two of 13 isn't really, you can't really defend it in any type of way, but at the same time, I think it wasn't bad that he was being aggressive and looking for his own shot. Um, I think that's one of the most important parts is that sometimes when his shot isn't falling and sometimes when he doesn't get those easy layups to go, Later on throughout the game, he can be a little passive and he can Mm. kind of shy away from being offensively aggressive. So it's good that even though his shot wasn't falling, he was still trying to be aggressive and trying to attack him. And the one thing I'll say is I don't know why he thinks he can attack Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart. It's just (laughs) never a good match. I don't understand where that idea comes from. Maybe it's Nick Nurse saying, hey, man, you got this. Don't worry. But at the same time, I have no idea where he gets that idea from because it's just not a good matchup for him. Same time. The defense thing, he played unreal defense, uh, like you said, throughout the seeding games, throughout the regular season, but especially, especially against Jalen Brown in game number four. He pretty much locked him up. And then Jason Tatum as well. He had a couple possessions on him, and I thought he did really well. So defensively, he's just been like all defense, no question about it kind of thing. Yeah, I've been reminded of the Jason Tatum quote about how the Raptors give him the most trouble uh, over the last yep. couple of games. I know Tatum was okay last night. He was 10 of 18, uh, and it, it still feels like he can kind of get to his spot and score whenever he wants to. He's so damn smooth, and I hate it. Uh, but he did have five turnovers in the game last night and was one of six from three and was not finding nearly the same 
open pull-up shots that I think both him and Kemba Walker had for a, a large part of game one and two. Those just haven't been there in the last two games. And I want to shout out Sam Folk, who wrote uh, for Raptors Republic uh, today about how the Raptors are selling out really well to get up on Kemba Walker and, and at, the, at the top of the pick and roll for him and kind of forcing things to guys like Jalen Brown. And I think we've seen that, right? The Raptors are doing a better job of directing things to the guys they feel like they can kind of go into shooting and are happy taking shots. And I think that can kind of work on the inverse as well when the Raptors are thinking about their offense and especially Pascal as they try to continue this and, you know, advance Pascal further in this series and hopefully not see any regression from what we saw. There's been slow progress throughout it. And I wonder if, you know, we've seen Kyle take advantage of Kemba Walker and you know, we saw them really pick apart Enes Kanter in those glorious four minutes he played in game three. And I wonder if maybe if the answer for Pascal, you know, you talked about how people are, are kind of itching for him to have the ball in his hands a little bit more in the perimeter to start creating a little bit, you know, maybe take some of the burden off of Kyle to do everything. And I think you can do that, but it has to be so targeted and so specific because of the defenders that Boston has out there. It's just been proven. Driving on Marcus Smart, bad idea. Driving on Jalen Brown, bad idea. Even Jason Tatum is a little bit too long to really, you know, like to to, to give Siakam an easy time. I mean, I think he right. scored a couple times yesterday on like post ups over Tatum, and that was beautiful to see. But for the most part, it's still not a guy I'm really comfortable watching Pascal go to work with one on one. But if you can really target Tice, who I don't think has been great in this series, I don't think his rim protection is very good at all. And I think if you can target Kemba, uh, you know, if you're going to run, say, like a 4-1 pick and roll with Siakam and Lowry or Siakam and Fred, or you want to run 4-5 stuff with, with Gasol, that's, I think, the way to get Pascal going downhill a little bit more often. But in the meantime, if you want to work these post-ups and he's going to pass out of them reasonably well and, you know, not have any turnovers, which he did not last night, which is always a good sign for Pascal, kind of a bellwether for him. Um, you know, the way they've worked him in over the last couple of games here, maybe he's not like the focal point of the offense. He's not the number one, but he is uh, at least the number two. And he's, you know, he, he's not, I don't feel like he's getting his shots sort of forced they're not forced it's a kind of a part of the offense and if you can just kind of continue with that and maybe more than two or 13 threes go down I think you're fine with what you're getting from him right now um, considering that your defense is so damn good and you're getting enough from Kyle and Fred and OG and Surge off the bench um, so yeah great to see Pascal kind of find his footing I don't think we'll see him go eight of ten from inside the inside the arc again but I also don't think we'll see him go two of 13 from three again because I'd be yeah. surprised if they let him shoot 13 threes again uh <laughs> frankly one uh yeah. one thing I wanted to say is that um another thing I noticed is that you know the, the Raptors they love running a bit of the offense through Gasol especially when Lowry's not on the court yeah uh you know they'll have him on those just pretty much everybody cut off Gasol that's pretty much it yeah. you know have Siakam cut off Gasol have Norm Powell Fred VanVleet anybody who's pretty much available cut off Gasol when he's at the top of the arc um I think Siakam got some easy buckets that way Jalen Brown isn't that good of an off-ball defender like he's a great on-ball defender and he's he's just an elite when it comes to post-ups and pretty much containing Siakam that way but off-ball he falls asleep a little and if Siakam can get him on cuts and kind of get him to to you know misdirection and things like that I think that's just easy ways for him to get buckets early yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really, really good point. And Gasol with five assists in game four, like that playmaking is coming along and, and it was really noticeable how often they were running things through him and things worked pretty well. As it turns out, Marc Gasol, good at basketball, makes your team pretty good when he's out there, <laughs> even if he's not shooting at all uh, yeah. or his post-ups look uh, frantic and chaotic and scary. 
Uh, we're going to continue talking about this series and look ahead to Game 5 and just sort of the overall matchup status right now and and kind of try to dive into what might take place over the next two or three games here. Uh, but first, I want to tell everybody about Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar ever. I've talked about them before. They're so freaking good. And right now, they have six new flavors available for you, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, which is uh, a very good pun, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. That goes along with their 12 original flavors, including my favorites, toffee almond, banana bread, and peanut butter. They are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew and also built bars are healthy built bars are great for the health conscious person you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber and great for keto diets as well for example, if you want to try the peanut butter, which again is one of my faves, just 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. The coconut almond has 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. And then the cookies and cream, one of the new flavors, just 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. On the whole, uh, Built Bars have 7 times less sugar than Cliff Bars. That is impressive. Also, right now, uh, Built Bar has a wonderful promo going on where you're going to get a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. It's only going to last for a little bit longer, so make sure you're getting in there. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You're going to get $10 off your next order and use promo code LOCKEDON. Once again, for $10 off, you're going to get that free cooler at BuiltBar.com. Get on it right away. All right, S, let's take a look at game five and look ahead Monday night. Obviously, quite an important game, as it turns out. Um, I I, want to ask you just sort of like about the overall style and matchup chess game that's been played in this series, because honestly, I expected it to be kind of a lot more interesting when it came to the sort of mixing and matching and the different moves each coach was going to have to make. And I, I guess because... There is no Gordon Hayward, and the Raptors are down to basically six guys you can trust right now with Norm Powell not giving much of anything. I feel like we're kind of at a point now where the terms are very much set. There's not a whole lot in the way of moves to make. You know, the Raptors still have the small lineup in their back pocket, but that requires them to trust Norm to play in that, and it doesn't seem like Nick Nurse is ready to go that way, especially considering they've been much better with Gasol on the floor, and Ibaka is offering really important scoring whenever he comes in. I think he's over 15 points in three of the four games. And so it does kind of feel like maybe the chess game is a little bit over and it's just a matter now of execution and playing hard and maybe that's boring but I don't know do you see anything else in this series that could sort of swing it in terms of coaching moves or are you kind of with me and thinking that we're kind of at the point where the terms are very much just set I'm kind of glad you brought this up and I can't believe I'm going to end up saying this but you know all the adjustments have been made you've you've gone through the defensive adjustments, offensive adjustments, seeing what you can do with different players. The rotation is set, like you said. And at this point, you're right. It's a make or miss league. <laughs> it's, it's, I know. I can't believe I'm going to go listening, ahead. Are you Doug? It's a make or miss league. <laughs> but it, it actually is. At the end of the day, Like when you have two great teams like like the Celtics and the Raptors who have made all the adjustments they can to, to kind of counteract and the chess moves, like you said, and the rotation is set. Everything is set. Pretty much all you have left is how hard you're going to play if you're going to show up. And yeah, if the shots are going to fall. At the end of the day, what happened in the first two games of the series? The Raptors' shots weren't falling. The Celtics got out to a 2 nothing lead. Now the Raptors' shots are falling. The Celtics are at the other at the hands of kind of missing their shots and, th- and you know, kind of being not as efficient as they were in the first couple games of the series. So it is a make-or-miss league. This, this is like the definition of a make-or-miss series in a way because whoever has been hitting the shots has won the games 
and and it's it's kind of crazy to say but i think you're right at at this point it's whoever kind of makes the most of it yeah and i think something that gives me a lot of hope that the raptors may be the team to pull this thing out and be the team to force the other team to miss more is that their defense has been not only like it's regular breed of excellent, but it's also been extremely diverse so far in this series. And you saw in game four, they were like switching things up like every couple possessions, like calling out the box in one, the triangle yeah. in two. And they, they run a bunch of zones, you know, with the bigs in there, at least in the, early in the series they did. And they're also just like, they're so long and freaky that they are able to, all right, we're just going to trap Jason Tatum right now. They did that early in the game, and I think forced a turnover right away in the first possession. And it was like, oh, haven't seen that so far. And then they didn't really go back to it until later in the game when Tatum started to heat up. And then that kind of snuffed that out for the time being, too. And, and so, you know, Boston is very good, obviously. And I don't I don't put it above Brad Stevens to, you know, bust out some crazy-ass defenses to keep the Raptors on their heels a little bit. But I, I do kind of feel like, with the way the Raptors are playing defense. And this kind of goes back all the way to that Jason Tatum quote to Jackie McMullen about how the Raptors are just constantly confusing you and changing things up. I, I feel like if you're, if I'm betting on which team is going to force more bad shooting nights, it feels like it's probably the Raptors because the Raptors, you know, they've had their bad shooting nights in the series, no doubt, but they've also gotten pretty good looks in all of these games and they're putting up a million threes. They're over 40 threes attempted in every game so far this series. And the variance I think is going to kind of go their way eventually here. At least that's what in theory on paper it would obviously over the course of a seven game series, it's a small sample. You don't always get stabilization or you rarely do, but I just think the process of the Raptors both defensively and offensively has been sound enough, at least these last three games, where I kind of feel like they almost have the upper hand a little bit, and it's going to take Boston some problem-solving to figure out the like the very creative Raptors defense and the way that they kind of change things up. And without them having Gordon Hayward, who I think would be a really big piece of, you know, when you have Jalen Brown missing the way he is and the Raptors funneling things to, to Jalen Brown the way they did in Game 4, having that extra playmaker on the floor would be so valuable right now. And that like he's not going to be there for this series, and they don't really have anyone else outside of maybe Brad Wanamaker, who's been kind of annoying off the bench here and there, who I trust <laughs> to come in and, you know, offer any sort of release valve if Tatum and, and Kemba are being bottled up by what the Raptors are doing, which they've done pretty well the last two games. Uh, what Does that make sense? Do, am I overestimating yeah. what no, the Raptors no. are doing? Am I underestimating the Celtics' ability to figure it out? No, I, I think you got it on the money, man. And at the same time, I think a lot of it rests on um, what's going to happen here on Monday because game five is kind of a pivotal game. Totally. Everybody talks about it like how game five pretty much – I think the stat is somewhere around 90% of teams who win game five when the series is tied go on to win the series. Mm -hmm. So I, I think – you know, and the Raptors do well in game fives. I think they're seven and two. I think it all rests on Monday and what they're going to do and how well they show up. Like, look, the first quarter and how the Raptors played – and pretty much the rest of the up until I would say start of the first fourth quarter when the Celtics started to play a lot better, they had control of the game. I think in a lot of ways, whoever kind of sets the precedent in that first quarter of who has control of the game, who has control of the pace will pretty much dictate what happens throughout the game. That That's just the way it's been going throughout the series. I think game four and game three kind of shows you that even game two, other than the Marcus Smart threes the Raptors had a pretty good control on that game until that moment so I, I think you know we could even say that the Raptors would be up 3-1 but that's another conversation for another day um, <laughs> I think uh, I think it would be I think it would be remiss to say you know the, the Raptors don't 
have what it takes. They, they definitely do have what it takes defensively to, to kind of bother these Celtics. Yeah, and I would say the way the Raptors starters are playing as well, they, they're kind of taking it to Boston the last few games here. And, like, they play a lot of minutes. Nick Nurse rides those guys. And I, it just feels like over the course of a full game, that lineup is better than what the Celtics are throwing out there. They're stopping them defensively. They're able to score on that Celtics lineup as well. Um, so far in the playoffs, the Walker, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Tice lineup, the starters right now for Boston, 103 minutes played. They're a minus 6.8 net rating, scoring just 97.6 points a game. I'm wow. uh, sorry, per 100, whereas the Raptors starting five, and again, the net series is baked into this, but I can even adjust uh, on the fly here. But um, over the la- in the eight games so far, they're at a 114, 106.4, and a plus 7.7 uh, in terms of their efficiency slash line. And I'll just pull the last four games here. I mean, the last three games certainly they've been really taking it to Boston and even now in this series with the Raptors having that really bad game off the top where they got blitzed that starting lineup is still a plus 7.8 net rating over the four games in this series and and so I just kind of feel like with the terms being set with Boston not having a ton they can go to to you know mix up their lineups and make them better because all of their players on their bench are worse than the guys they have in their starting five it just kind of feels like the the boulder is rolling in the Raptors' direction right now, and it's going to be a little bit difficult for Boston to curb it. Yes, all of the caveats still apply that this is a difficult matchup for Toronto. The Raptors' half-court offense can dry up at any time, and the you know the, the the shooting variance obviously is going to really dictate this series. It does just come down to, as I talked about with John Corrales from Locked On Celtics last week, in a series this close, it comes down to random aberrations. I just feel like the way the Raptors are playing over the last three games, it's kind of lining up that they can have themselves, like they can be the beneficiaries of those random aberrations a little bit more often than Boston can. So I've gone from being pretty convinced the Raptors are losing this series in like six games to uh, pretty confident they're going to win it. And maybe that's ill-begotten. Maybe that's Raptors fan bias, but the numbers suggest that they're really kind of hitting their stride here over these last couple of games, dating back to game two. And without a Marcus Smart flurry, this is probably a 3-1 series. So, um, you know, all caveats apply. And, you know, weird shit can happen in the playoffs, and there's a lot of basketball left to be played. But the numbers suggest a pretty encouraging trend for the Raptors so far here in this series. Uh, S, do you have any uh, final thoughts ahead of tomorrow's Game 5? Yeah, I've uh, I've gained this really, really stupid conspiracy. It might be true. I'm not sure. But if you score 100 points, you win. That's the... That's the- <laughs> That's the motto of the game. I don't know. I, I just got introduced to this thing called the Lawler Law, which says <laughs> if you score 100. I didn't know that even existed. I'm shocked. But anyways, if you score 100 points, you win. That's the rule of the game for the Raptors. They're amazing when they score 100 points. And especially if they limit the other team to less than 100 points, they have a ridiculous record. I think it's like 10 and 1 or something. So, um, yeah, do that and you win the game. That's pretty much my conspiracy theory. Yeah, I made this point last night. Um, you know, the Raptors were up like 96-87 with like three minutes left or something like that. And I just looked at the scoreboard, looked at the time on the clock and thought, the Raptors have already scored the winning points here. Like, they, yeah. they don't need to worry too much. Like, yeah, like Boston will probably get some here, but they could probably not score for the rest of this game. And they probably got it locked up because their defense is such a crunch time weapon. And, you know, we saw them take advantage. They, they forced a few misses. They got that offensive foul from Jason Tatum as well. You know, things got a little hairy with the, the offensive rebounding uh, catastrophe that happened as Marcus Smart was throwing his body around like a, like a bull <laughs> in a china shop. But, like, you know, I, I think the defense for the Raptors has been really, really encouraging. And 
as I've said all along, yes, they were blown out in game one, but for the most part, their defense is such that they're never going to be out of a game because teams are just never going to be able to build up a big enough cushion on them if their offense is running even half half decent um, because their defense is just so consistently excellent. And, you know, shout out to Gasol. I know Gasol has been sort of a target of a lot of ire, but he has been amazing when he's been on the floor defensively. Um, you know, when he fouled out last night, I guess that was cause for a little bit of panic, even though there was only a minute left. And, I, I, you know, ride the starters, man. You need two more wins here. And then it's a fresh series against the Heat where I feel like more pieces of the Raptors will be able to be worked in most likely it's just a very strange right. series right now where it seems like a very specific set of players for the raptors is is suited to beat the celtics and let's hope it continues man because boy what a conference finals without having to face Giannis. as much as it's fun to make fun of the bucks and budenholzer <laughs> like i'm i'm much more at ease with a matchup against the heat than i am against the bucks it's just the way yep. it is um and so here's hoping, man. It's looking good, though. I'm feeling pretty good. And it's been a, a treat to watch these last two games and watching them get back to even after being 0.5 seconds away from their season being over. S, do you have anything you would like to plug before we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, yeah, yeah. I do a game show on Raptors Republic called Whose Take Is That Anyways? I've got a episode dropping. Well, if you're listening to this, I don't know when you're dropping this, either today or tomorrow, but uh, it'll drop on Monday um, or Tuesday, depending on how quickly I edit this thing. But yeah, it'll be out, have some really cool guests with some really cool game show themes and things like that, talking about the Raptors. So definitely check that out. And Sean, you should come on. You should come on. We need a, we need you on here. Dude, anytime. I, I, any takes that require toilet humor, I'm there. Uh. Yeah, it might. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's, uh, yeah, everything S is doing is awesome <laughs> uh, and far more talented than I am. I, I can, I do my graphics usually in MS Paint, so uh, that tells you the editing uh, Hey, you can do a lot. You can do a lot with <laughs> MS Paint. Don't worry about it. You can do a lot with that. Don't See, I, I've just leaned into my anything I post from any graphics type, type of thing, just being intentionally shitty, and then it's it's part <laughs> of the brand. What do you what do you want? What do you, want? Um, you can find all of my intentionally shitty stuff at Woodley Sean on Twitter. Uh, you can find this podcast, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. It's very much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. Um, and we'll be back again on Tuesday morning. I know the schedule is a little bit weird. We're kind of going alternating days and strange hours and times, but the schedule for the playoffs is uh, bizarre. And so you're basically technically listening to your Friday podcast for this past week. We'll have a full week of shows coming up for you uh, beginning on Tuesday with a Game 5 recap. Hopefully a joyous and happy one. Otherwise, uh, have a good one, everybody. Enjoy your long weekend, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Mm-hmm.